Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, January the 27th, 2024. It is currently 4.20 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, this is one of those situations where I was reading some scripture and all of a sudden an idea came in my mind and I was like, oh, this is so good. This is so good. This is awesome. Okay. Okay. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn on the microphone and I'm going to tell everyone about this great idea. Now, the problem is a lot of times I think it's a far greater idea than anybody else. And I'll be like, wait, don't you see it? Isn't that awesome? Don't you think that's cool? Don't you think that's great? And everyone's like, yeah, well, you know, whatever. Okay. So, so it could be one of those situations. Also, sometimes I can think it's a great idea. And then when I start getting into it and trying to talk it out, I'll be like, well, wait a minute. Never mind. That wasn't such a great idea. That's always the danger of this, of these impromptu live broadcasts where all of a sudden I get an idea and I'm like, let's do it. And then I, I'm 15, 20 minutes into it. I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? But that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Because um, I like, that's one of the things I like about the way I do podcasting, right? It's not all polished and produced and perfect. It's, well, just a real person sitting in front of a microphone, well, trying to figure out Christianity, trying to figure out scripture, and just talking about it like a like a, a real person would, right? Like in a, a real situation where I'm like, oh, oh, have you thought about this? And then maybe when I'm done, I'm like, well, you know, that really, there really wasn't anything there. So maybe you won't think there's something there. Maybe you will. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll take my idea and then you'll, you'll, you'll fix my idea. You'll, you'll, you'll fix it. You'll shape, you'll, you'll kind of mold it and shape it into something maybe even better. And that's great if you can. If you if you can do something with it, that's wonderful. But I would love to get your thoughts and your feedback. And of course, you can email them that to me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. So what I'm trying to tell you is don't expect this to be all, you know, well thought out and organized. This is just kind of the just the initial idea, right? This is just the seed. I'm just going to plant the seed and then we'll see if it, if it grows or well, if the plant dies before it, you know, before, as soon as it's planted, it's dead. Maybe it's going to be dead as soon as I plant the idea, but I'm going to try and, and maybe, but maybe with a little nurturing and a little work, it, it, we can, we can turn it into something. I just think it's fascinating the way these uh, scriptures fit together. So are you ready? All right, so today I'm sitting here. Now I've got church tomorrow, right? So I'm I'm focusing primarily tomorrow, I think, on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which was one of the lectionary readings that we read a few days ago in Mark chapter, I believe, 3. I believe it was Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 30, I think. And um, we worked on that. I gave you, you know, to do an outline, all of the things, and look up three sermons on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So I've really been focusing on that, and, and I'm really focusing on how to interpret the concept of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit from a dispensational perspective. So I've really been working on that. So I, I, I know I need to be focused on that, but I'm like, well, it is Saturday. I need to at least look at the lectionary readings for today. Remember, we're doing the, the our series on the liturgical calendar and, and the historical lectionary, right? Or the historical calendar and the lectionary. Remember? 
So I'm like, well, I haven't looked at the lectionary readings. Let's look at them today. So I opened it up and I realized today is Saturday of the third week in ordinary time. All right. That's interesting. Then I noticed that the first reading, the first reading is a reading from the book, from a reading from the second book of Samuel. So second Samuel chapter 12 verses one through seven and then 10 through 17. Now I've, I've got my Bible right here, but I'm just going to read it from the lectionary itself, utilizing their translation. But here we go. So this is Saturday of the third week in ordinary time, if we're following the church calendar. And here is the lectionary reading. The first one is a reading from the second book of Samuel, second Samuel chapter 12, verses one through seven and 10 through 17. And we read these words. The Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, Nathan said, judge this case for me. In a certain town, there were two men, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had flocks and herds and great numbers. But the poor man had nothing at all except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He nourished her and she grew up with him and his children. She shared the little food he had and drank from his cup and slept in his bosom. She was like a daughter to him. Prepare uh, uh, was like a daughter to him. Now the rich man received a visitor. But he would not take from his own flocks and herds to prepare a meal for the wayfarer. He had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and made a meal of it for his visitor. David grew very angry with that man and said to him, As the Lord lives, this man has done, uh, has done this merit's death. He shall restore the ewe lamb fourfold because he has done this and had no pity. All right, now I'm going to read the story one more time. You, you know the story. You know the, what Nathan is doing here. So he says, hey, I've got this case. I want you to judge it. So there's in a certain town, there were two men. One is rich, the other is poor. The rich man had flocks and herds in great numbers, but the poor man had nothing at all except one little hue lamb that he had bought. He nourished her uh, and she grew up with him and all his children. She shared the little food he had and drank from his cup and slept in his bosom. bosom. She was like a daughter to him. Now the rich man received a visitor, but he would not take from his own flocks and herds to prepare a meal for the wayfarer uh, who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and made a meal for it for his visitor. David grew very angry with that man and said to him, as the Lord lives, this man has done uh, this merit's death. He shall restore the ewe lamb fourfold because he has done this and he has had no pity. So the rich man who has everything takes the poor man's ewe lamb, kills it and uses it to feed his visitor. Okay, well, David is upset and this is horrible. And this is how dare he would do such a thing. And then we know the next words. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah to be your wife. Thus saith the Lord, I will bring evil upon you out of your own house. I will take your wives while you, while you live to see it and will give them to your neighbor. He shall lie with your wives in broad daylight. Uh, you have done this deed in secret, but I will bring it about in the presence of all Israel and, uh, and with the sun looking down. Then David said to Nathan, 
I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan answered David, the Lord on his part hath forgiven your sins. You shall not die. But since you have utterly spurned the Lord by this deed, the child born to you must surely die. Then Nathan returned to his house. The Lord struck the child that the wife of Uriah had borne to David, and it became desperately ill. David besought God for the child. He kept a fast, retiring for the night to lie on the ground, clothed in sackcloth. The elders of his house stood beside him, urging him to rise from the ground, but he would not, nor would he take food with them. Now, this is obviously the 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 dramatic kind of conclusion in many ways of David's horrible sin. We know David took another man's wife. He had the man killed. He committed adultery. He does all of these horrible things. And now he is confronted and he's told a story. Hey, there's this rich man, but he took the poor man's little hue lamb and he killed it. How dare he does such a thing? David is righteous indignation, moral outrage. He is so angry. And he's like, the man should pay for it. And then like, you are the man. So many times, our moral outrage is really nothing more than attempt to cover our own moral failings. Sometimes moral outrage is nothing more than attempt to distract and to point away from our own moral failure. Sometimes the more moral outrage we have, the more guilty we are. Sometimes the thing we condemn the most, even if it's not exactly the same, it's similar to what we have done. We are really pointing the finger at ourselves. Sometimes those who scream the most, condemn the most, judge the most, has the most to hide. But if you are honest with yourself, if you take God's law, if you take God's morality and you look at it, no matter how, no matter which way you look at it, if you look in the mirror, you are the man, you are the woman, you are the boy, you are the girl, you are the person, you are guilty. We are all guilty. Anytime we look into God's law, we're guilty. Now we can look into God's law and go, oh, 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 over there, over there, over there. Oh, there's the homosexuals. They're bad. They're bad. There's LGBTQ. Oh, oh, they're bad. Oh, there's the, they're bad. Oh, there's the drunkards. They're bad. Oh, there's the, there's the drug addict. Oh, they're bad. They're bad. They're bad. They're bad. They're bad. They're bad. But if you, if you keep pointing sooner or later, something's going to point back going, you are the person. You are guilty. We know this story. It's powerful. It's frightening. It's convicting. The next passage is Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Now, the part that they have here is a quote from 12a. Create a clean heart in me, O God. A clean heart create for me, O God, and a steadfast spirit renew within me. Cast me not from your presence and your Holy Spirit take not from me. Give back the joy of your salvation and a willing spirit sustain me. I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall return to you. Free me from the blood guilt, O God, my saving God, that then my tongue shall reveal uh, revel in your justice. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. 
Now, create in me a clean heart. Well, David understands that his ultimate problem is deep inside of him. It's our nature. Our very essence is where our problems began. That's where lust begins. That's where everything begins. It's inside of us. So David is broken. David confesses. Now, those two readings alone, that we... We we could do so much with those two. Uh, uh, we we could do so much with those two re- readings. We could we could do so much. What is fascinating here is what comes after. See those first two. I was just like the basically what I was like. I was like you know when when I read them, I basically was like, I, that's the truth. I'm the man. I'm guilty. I'm the man. And sometimes our moral outrage is simply is to cover our own guilt. Okay, I'm convicted. All right, what do I what do I do with that? I'm like, well, I'll just go ahead and read the gospel reading. And the gospel reading is Mark chapter four, verses thirty-five to forty-one, where we read these words. On that day, as evening drew on, Jesus said to his disciples, "Let us cross to the other side." Leaving the crowd, they took Jesus with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a violent squall came up and waves were, cr- were breaking over the boat so that it was already filling up. Jesus was in the stern asleep on a cushion. They woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up, rebuked the wind and said to the sea, quiet, be still. The wind ceased and there was great calm. Then he asked them, why are you so terrified? Do you not yet have faith? They were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this whom even the wind and sea obey? Now, immediately, at least today, when I read that in light of the, of, of the passage from 2 Samuel, the passage from 2 Samuel chapter 12 and from Psalm 51, as soon as I read that, I read it in a completely, with a completely different mindset. Now, yes, we know it's a literal story with a literal storm. No question about it. And we know that the storm is raging and it's the waves are coming over the boat and they think they're going to drown and they're like, Jesus, wake up. We're going, don't you care that we're going to perish? We understand that's literal and that it is to demonstrate that Jesus is obviously God. He is creator. He has power even over nature itself. Yes, it shows his deity. It shows his power. That's the point of the story, obviously. But when you put it in the context of these other passages, I don't know about you, but sin creates a pretty big storm. Sin is just, it's lightning and thunder and strong wind and you're getting tossed all over the place and you're getting thrown about and you're thinking you're going to be drowned by the guilt of your own sin, the shame of your own sin. You don't even know what to do and you scream out, God, don't you even care? And he rebukes the storm because in Christ, he forgives all sin. In him, he he calms it. He removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. He takes it and throws it in the deepest ocean. He calms the storm. And what we have to do is not be overwhelmed and drowned by the storm, 
What we must do is put our faith in Christ because it's only faith in Christ that the storm has come. The storm is not going to be overcome by us rowing the boat more, trying harder, no, no, taking buckets and trying to throw the water out of the boat. The only hope is Christ, save us. The only hope is Christ. You're the one who can calm the storm. You're it. Here's my sin. It's a mess. Now I can do moral outrage and point at everyone else's storm, or I can say, Lord, I'm drowning. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me and, and trust in his perfect imputed righteousness. That's our only hope. Now, I don't know if that works perfectly. I don't know if it does. I don't know if it does, but I can't speak for you, but I know for me, I'm the man, I'm a sinner. And I know sin can, and, 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 and it can be any kind of sin. Look, whenever we talk about sin, we always think of specific, you know, big, it can be anything. It can be covetousness. It can be bitterness. It can be a lack of forgiveness. It can be the fact that I don't love God with all my heart, mind, body, and soul. It can be the fact that I, I don't love my neighbor as myself. It could be a million. It could be the fact that I want to serve self. I mean, we always think, we always think of these sins and these very like, you know, big sin, but all sin create storms around us, guilt, shame. We get tossed to and from. We feel guilty. We, we struggle. I mean, isn't your whole Christian life constantly feeling like you're in a boat where the waters are coming over, the water's coming over the, the side of the boat and you're trying to bail it out because you know, no matter how, no matter how hard you try to be a Christian, you, every day you read your Bible, you're, you hear, you hear the same voice. You are the man. You are, every time I open my Bible, you are the man. You are the man. And it's not you are the man like you are the man. No, it's like you are the guilty party, right? Every time I open my Bible, guilty, 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 guilty. Hey, I should love the Lord that God. Guilty. I should I should put others before myself. Guilty. I should love my neighbor. Guilty. I should turn the other cheek. Guilty. I should uh love my enemy. Guilty. I should do this. Guilty. I should do that. Guilty. I should be humble and not proud. Guilty. I should I should not be worried and filled with anxiety and worry. Guilty. I just, every time I turn the Bible, guilty, 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 guilty. And sometimes I'm like, the boat is sinking. Do you not care that I perish? And Jesus has to go, whoa, 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 whoa. Speaks to the storm, calms down, and then looks at me going, what? Don't you have faith in me? Don't you have faith in me? Isn't your salvation not based on what you do, but what I have accomplished? Isn't your faith not based on what you can do, but what I have completely accomplished? Trust in me. The lectionary reading today shows us David in the middle of a storm. You are the man. We see him in Psalm 51 saying, Lord created me a clean heart. But then we see in a powerful way, a storm, a literal storm. And Jesus, if he can calm a literal storm of a literal ocean, literal wind, literal rain, literal thunder, literal lightning, then he can calm the very powerful storm of your sin and my sin. Now, I, I just wanted to just 
presentus. I haven't got it all figured out. And I, and I messed up the reading of the lectionary in Second Samuel. I apologize. I was reading it and, and, and I was, because there was a million things going on here. I have, my iPad was ringing. I got someone calling the iPad. I have my daughter calling uh, the, the MacBook Pro. I got people messaging me uh, because of plans for tonight, I guess. I don't know what's going on. Everyone in the world's trying to contact me and they're trying to contact me and I'm trying to make this powerful point and I'm trying to read Second Samuel and all I keep looking, I'm trying to look at the words on the page and I'm like, oh, d- uh, you know, decline the call. All right, mute this. Stop. The-. And I'm trying to read and I'm just, I just blew past the reading and, and messed it all up. So I'm probably going, I'm probably going to delete this now, but at least for me, these readings fit together in a powerful, 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 powerful way. So I'll, I'll, I'll just hand them to you. I need to do more work on them, but we'll, we'll be talking about them again soon, I think. I, I don't think I can just move past these. Like, I think there's something here we need to th- hear. There's something here we need, we need to grab onto. You tell me what you think. If you're listening to me live, email me newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I'm now going to go answer all of these text messages and calls from everyone in my family and try to find out what's going on. And, uh, well, thanks for listening to Very Impromptu. I told you it was going to be disorganized and not polished, and that's what it exactly turned out to be. But hopefully you'll grab something from it. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day, great evening. God bless.